0: let's get started here is your host vincenzo toscano
1: hello guys welcome to a new episode of the e-commerce lab by ecomsy my name is vincenzo toscano i'm the ceo of ecomsy and today we have a special guest his name is david miller he's the founder of the law office of david ellen miller and they specialize actually around amazon and account and leasing suspension so today that's going to be our topic however um we're also going to be making sure that we t- touch topics around what are the usually the things that we need to take into consideration to avoid this and also expand the conversation aloud what are the best practices so now without any further delay how are you doing david
2: i'm doing well vincenzo thanks
1: for having me No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming. I know you have extensive experience on this space. I know you specialize around this. You have helped multiple people around helping getting their account and listings back. So it's a pleasure to have you here and of course spread the knowledge around this and how people can use also your services to, to of course, improve this experience on Amazon.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are so many Amazon sellers just get hit with the random account suspension and their entire business is closed and there's yes. no warning. It's just a, a, a random, it can be very random out of the blue. So some of the, yeah. About, yeah, some of the things I'm going to talk about today are just some of those common reasons for suspensions, uh, and how to try and avoid them to prevent them from happening
1: that's great yeah i think one of the number one fear of people when they want to transition their business into amazon the first red flag that come to their mind is all the things that they see on the news of amazon one day they send you an email they take all your funding uh they, they remove your listings so i think it's great to have people in the space like you that specialize around this because i think that gives more confidence to people that it's not the end of the world of course it's going to happen I, I mean the biggest sellers always get their account sometimes suspended or sometimes listings. It's just the, the operations of working with Amazon. But as long as you follow the procedures, which, which I guess today is we're going to be touching and follow the Amazon rules, I think uh, everything should be fine, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely, there's no guarantees ever. But try, most of the time when I get the phone call that my, you know, that an account's been suspended or a major listing has been suspended, now we have to work on getting it reinstated. Right. So what I'd like to do today is avoid that situation entirely. So if I can address some of the common issues I see, you can hopefully avoid that from ever happening and then you won't have to call me at all, which is no one's happy when they have to call me. So that's you know, that's 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 what I'm here for.
1: That's great. So one of my first questions I had in mind is, I think uh, I wanna touch on what are usually the main things uh, by which people get suspended? So what is usually your experience, um, which is the main reason you see people getting their accounts down nowadays?
2: So there are a lot of different areas. So today I'm gonna to touch on some of the more, the more common ones and just to kind of give you a brief overview of some of those topics, sure. business verifications, uh, related accounts, forged documents. I'm going to talk about drop shipping. I'm going to talk about inauthentics and you sold as new, um, with mm-hmm. intellectual property infringement. So I think a good place to start is talking about what's called a business verification suspension. Yes. Uh, this is when a lot of sellers run into when they're trying to create a new account, mm-hmm. trying to register, they have all sorts of problems. So yes. I'm going to try and discuss some of those ways to av- hopefully avoid ever running into that. So Amazon typically requires a business license but as for a utility bill that's dated within 90 days. So typically that will, they'll want to name an address that's visible on that. It could be a gas bill, an electric bill, a water bill, and then they'll want a bank statement and a valid credit card on file. Now, where most sellers run into trouble here, often it's not I would, I would I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say always, but uh, I would say a fair amount of the time I've noticed it's sellers from overseas, so outside of the U.S., and yes. maybe they're trying to sell on the U.S., the Amazon U.S. platform, so they don't have um, an office here, they may not have a utility bill, um, or if they do, if they're able to get one, it doesn't match some of the other information that they're looking for, so if you have a name and an address on a guest bill that's very different than the credit card you have on the file, it's going to be problematic. And sometimes it's like, well, I don't have one. What can I do? What can I do? So there are other ways. You know, you can get a phone bill in your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are other ways of getting the account verified. But you just the main thing is just being very careful that the information all matches up. And if you're having a problem or there's something that maybe there's a document that you don't that you don't think you have or that you that you don't think you can get, um, that's also where I can help because I've, I've uh, seen different situations and lots of, you know, overseas sellers are able to sell on, on Amazon US, uh, sometimes just a matter of providing those documents in a concise way so that everything is very clear to Amazon. They need to know who's selling, who owns the business, and if there's any sort of discrepancy, that's where sellers run into problems.
1: Yes, I fully agree with you. I think one of the important points you also touched on that is that this happened a lot with people uh, from outside of the USA. And I don't know if you also agree with this, but I think one of the main reasons when sometimes Amazon don't approve this documentation is also because of the language, right? I know that Amazon require a specific language in terms of documentation. So I don't know if you can touch very quickly on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So there, I don't have the entire list in front of me, but Amazon has a list which you can find by a very simple Google search. They only accept certain languages. Yeah. Uh, There's a I I, from the last time I looked, I would say there's about ten or twelve of them. There may be more now, um, but there's random languages that they do not allow. So if you have information or you're providing some sort of utility bill in a language that Amazon doesn't accept, yeah, there's no chance of it even working. And one other thing as far as business verifications, I've seen where up to this point, I've been talking about creating new accounts. Sometimes accounts that already exist, changing information on the account is also problematic. So I always advise if you don't absolutely have it 100% need to change it, just leave it. If there's a yeah. need for it, then we'll talk about how to go about it. Um, but you need to get in writing. You need to make sure it sounds crazy, but I've seen it come up soon. Yeah. Many- times that oh this is yeah. what you have to do you have to contact seller support get in writing that you're changing the information this is what you're changing make sure they're cool with it if they're cool with it then you'll be fine to be honest i've seen even in those situations where amazon suspends the yeah. account and then you have to the
1: same yeah
2: <laughs> you have to buy that info and show like look here it is in writing i have a screenshot of it amazon seller support said it's fine like you know what's the deal um you have a much better chance of getting reinstated then if you don't have that at all if you spoke on the phone there's no proof of a phone call i can't you know no one can provide that in a document you know so yes there's some of the things that i would do
1: okay that's great I, I think yeah i think a lot of people sometimes want to do small changes like uh spelling mistakes or things like that which i think as long as amazon doesn't give you the 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 red flag in your account as a notification it's not really worth the pain because yeah. It's gonna be the same process uh, if things go wrong or not. So why take the burner of doing it and getting your account suspended, right? So
2: <laughs> exactly. And that that kind of feeds into my next topic, which is related accounts. And often yeah. it's actually related to business verifications, where someone either creates a second account with a similar with, with the same name, it could be an address. Mm. A variety of other ways of linking accounts could just be logging on to the same Wi-Fi. Now, Amazon's restrictions, they they used to be more strict about related accounts. They used to, you used to need approval to get a second account. You don't need that anymore, um, but it's still, you still have to be really, really careful. Amazon wants a legitimate business reason. Mm -hmm. Creating a second account, they want you to sell products in a totally different area. And part of it makes sense, even though a lot of it is, for some reason, they seem to be very strict with related account issues, which is a whole other topic. But part of the reason that they want, you know, that they're worried about multi, you know, sellers having multiple accounts is they're worried about competition issues, where if I have three accounts, I can you know, set three different price points and just yeah. share competition or maybe not destroy it but in a
1: monopoly basically yeah exactly
2: it's it's easier to control a lot of things when you have multiple accounts and if one account gets this you don't necessarily care as much about amazon policy one account goes now i'll have five more. who cares so they're they're a little bit worried about that um it's just something to keep in mind and to be careful with that if that does happen just follow follow the rules and make sure that if the account ever gets suspended you have you have a solid argument as to why the second account was created. Because for some reason I've noticed US sellers get dinged for this, U- US and European sellers I'd say would get, get dinged for this more than anyone else. Yes. Um, I know I've never seen, or I've rarely seen um, sellers in Asia, either yeah. they don't do it or they're better about, yeah, how-, very
1: perfect about how to do yeah. to- guess. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's funny cause there's different parts of the world where I see more issues in like different areas and for Related accounts, it seems like it's usually US and European, and sometimes they're selling on both. It doesn't really matter where they're headquartered, but yeah. that's um, something I've noticed from the year my years of being in this industry.
1: Yes, and I think one of the most common things we see with related accounts is that sometimes, let's say, uh, somebody opens an account in the same household, and then your partner, let's say that account gets suspended and for some reason, you're wife or your husband decide to open a second account even if it's not the same name I think that also is considered as a related account and get the relation to the first suspended account right sometimes
2: it's it's enough that Amazon has definitely re, like will relate them and I've seen them do it many times technically it's not a violation because if you're you' there's still two separate people I yeah. think where it gets problematic is when Amazon sees that you're logging on to the same Wi-Fi or yeah, the, same the same address yeah. yeah. Right. So technically you're you're okay because it's two set it's two separate people and hopefully two entirely separate entities. But again, it's just the type of scenario that for me, I wouldn't even go down that road. It's just it, it's just it causes more problems I've seen than than good, you know. But sometimes it's necessary. They're all different types of business needs and, and why they decide to do it, but it's just something to be aware of. If I was doing business, I'd like to know these. You know, if I was an Amazon seller, I'd like to know these things before I went down that. You know, down this road. Yeah,
1: that's great. Which actually comes to my next question is, as an Amazon seller, what do you think is the first step you should take when you when you receive a suspension or, or a listing suspension? Because the reality is that Amazon most of the time doesn't give you a lot of information, and sometimes genuinely you don't know where the suspension is coming from. So. What do you think is the first uh, action that we should take when encountering these issues? Yeah.
2: Right. So it's a, it's a great question. So I always advise trying to figure out exactly what causes suspension first. Absolute first step by yourself or whoever the head of the company is. Try and figure out why why you were suspended. Now, most of the time, the seller has an idea why. Whether they agree with it or not are two separate things. But most of the time, they have some idea. If they have no clue, my suggestion is to investigate what Amazon, the, the, you know, the little bit of information Amazon is telling you. That's you have to investigate. If Amazon is saying related account. You have to think back. It could be years, even an account that you opened up that you didn't even fully register. That could yeah. be that could be the mm-hmm. issue. Um, if it's say it's a counterfeit issue, it's like, well, I never sold counterfeit products. Well. That will touch that later. But right now, it's like that's what Amazon thinks. What product is it? And did someone report me? Is it that I get negative feedback? Is it more of an inauthentic or you sold as new issue? You have to dig into that on your own first to try and understand it. If you can't, that's when you can always hire a professional. But I always suggest trying to figure it out first and then writing what's called a plan of action to Amazon to reinstate it. So that's going to address the root cause of the issue, um, which if you don't know the cause, that's going to be a lot harder to come up with. Um, but if you do, you have to be upfront about what you believe. It doesn't mean you're admitting to any sort of infringement or any issue to say like, this is, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I believe caused the issue, but this is why I don't believe it's correct. So the first is the root cause. The second is gonna be your corrective actions. So how you've corrected this current issue. So if it's Mm -hmm. a related account issue, you wanna say, I identified the account, I closed it. If it's a counterfeit issue, it's like, it's not counterfeit. Here's an invoice to show it's not counterfeit. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's that's, um, step number two. And then the third is your preventative measures. So in addition to how you fix this particular issue, you wanna show how your overall business is better and how you're going to ensure or do the best you can to ensure that this issue is not going to happen again
1: yes i totally agree with you and i think it's also important to 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 note that the first plan of action that you send, i know that is very important because if you miss that opportunity just by replying with a quick sentence or just asking oh what happened or something like that i know that amazon start giving less priority to that case is that correct
2: so that's It's a great point. So Amazon will never admit that they'll never admit it. So all I can tell you is what I've seen and it's dependent, I think on the seller. And I've noticed that larger sellers tend to get quicker responses, a fair, fair amount of the time, not always. Um, But the first plan of action is always going to be important because Now, if you say a in plan of action one and then and then plan of action two is a totally different story, Mm -hmm. Amazon is trying to like say, okay, well, they're totally different stories. One of them, at least one of them has to be a lie or to to some extent. So it's important to. Get, gather all your information and keep it consistent so if you have to add more detail that's fine but you don't want to lie you want to be upfront about what caused the issue At the end of the day the goal is to get the account back not to win the argument It doesn't really matter if you win the argument it matters if you can get back in business now after a a, a ton of appeals so if you've written 10 or more appeals, Amazon definitely takes longer to get back to you. And in some scenarios, they'll just stop responding altogether. Yeah. So that's really, that's the worst case scenario. And there's other ways that you can try and follow up and different teams you can always contact, but you, those first couple appeals are always going to be the most important. So definitely never recommend writing a one-liner if Amazon's yeah. asking for a plan of action for three different yeah. components. Like I mentioned, you have to give it to them. Um, it doesn't always mean it has to be, you know, a, a 10 page document. I find yep. that shorter is better, but a sentence is is too short. A, a couple of pages, sometimes even only a page, maybe two. It's really a matter of how much, how long it'll take you to explain the situation, um, but you don't want to give almost nothing you know sometimes people are scared maybe to admit something they don't really know what to say so that's usually why my phone rings if they have questions or advice and they don't want to touch it
1: yeah yeah I, I i think the reason why i made this point is because i know a lot of people and customers that have worked with us what they do is that the first plan of action they use it as a trial to see if they can fix it yep. and when they kind of fix it they go to people like you and i always advise to go straight to people like you because they know we work- mistake i see is what you just mentioned they say something in the first plan of action but then when people like you go in in depth and see these issues is another thing then they start the confliction and it's a nightmare
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah it is honestly yeah. i i always recommend you know giving it a shot on on your own if you're a seller uh sometimes the issue is rather simple so it really depends on the issue you know if it's a patent infringement issue it's it's you know, more likely that you're going to want to hire a patent attorney. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it's an inauthentic and there's, you know, a few negative comments and you can really explain it yourself, I, I always say, give it a shot. And then, you know, if it doesn't work or you have additional questions, then you can always contact somebody. But that's always the way I always, you know recommended going about it depending on the issue and of course you know some of it depends on business risk and how risky yeah of course if you're in a position to hire a professional there's all different situations but I never think it hurts to try on your own if it doesn't work then you can look elsewhere
1: yeah Yeah, that's great good good answer and now a another question I would like to touch is uh, I think we we have touched already the related accounts a verification what are the other common suspensions usually handle um, and also rare a suspension if you can mention them and what is usually the root cause of those if you can just touch the basics? Yeah. Sure.
2: So one of, I would say, the hardest suspension to overcome, and I'm just going to touch upon it briefly because it's a very simple issue, it's forged and manipulated documents. So sometimes Amazon will ask for documents and sellers will either provide them with a document that's edited or maybe they didn't have the document. They didn't know what to do. It's the worst thing you can do on Amazon, because if Amazon catches you, it's as close to being blacklisted as you can get. So it's it's very difficult. I don't even accept Forge and Manipulated documents most of the time because they're so difficult to overcome. Um, yeah. But I, I will always be upfront that they're very difficult. I can always try. But the fact of the matter is, is typically those cases are the documents weren't legitimate. So now Amazon just doesn't trust the seller. Yeah. They're worried about it. But with that being said, I've seen Amazon make mistakes too. And these types of cases are very, very different. So what I'm talking about here is sometimes what sellers will do is they'll write something um, with it could be a Sharpie or, you know, marker or a pen um, on the invoice itself. And then they scan it in so it could have, um you know, whatever sort of note that someone wrote on it, or they'll black out the price. Yeah. I've actually seen these things turn into what's, you know, forged and manipulated documents according to Amazon because they're mm-hmm. seeing like writing on it and Amazon's bots flag it. So that's totally different. Um, so you probably know what I'm going to say here. I wouldn't write anything on these invoices ever yeah just and it's here. very
1: common to people do sometimes just for reference you write things uh, I didn't know that was a thing so it's yeah just a good yeah. yeah it doesn't
2: that doesn't come up too often but I have seen it most of the time when it's forger manipulated it's it's usually you know a, a document that wasn't legitimate that was submitted because the seller didn't have another place to turn they didn't have an invoice so they made one whatever the case is with these, with these issues, with someone just writing on is obviously it's not a forged manipulated document. They just yep. wrote something on it. They blacked out the pricing. The funny part is Amazon actually tells you in their notices that you can redact. You can cross out the pricing information. And then I would see that sellers would do it and they'd get flat. So <laughs> I, I, I would always tell them, don't redact it. Amazon doesn't care what you're selling these for. Just just leave it.
1: So. That's great. I mean, that's a great tip. I, I, I didn't know that. That's good. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, And also drop shipping. I want to touch on a bit because there's a lot of drop shippers out there. And I always understood why, because you don't have to invest in inventory. Mm. You could sell the problem you know, when the product is sold, then you ship it to them. The problem is, is Amazon hates it like 99% of the time. I would say most drop shippers are violating Amazon's drop shipping policies. So, Amazon's really just been cracking down a ton. Five years ago, there were, I don't actually know the numbers, but if I had to guess five years ago, there were so many more drop shippers on Amazon than there are right now. A lot of them have been suspended or Amazon will request certain things when they're suspecting that someone's a drop shipper. Um, So they're just really been cracking down. Now, most of them are in violation of Amazon's policies because They're not the seller of record um, or they have something on the packaging. So I'll, I'll use Walmart as an example, since that's a huge, a huge way that a lot of sellers drop ship. So what I mean by that is when a product is ordered an Amazon customer makes a purchase from your store, the Amazon seller will notify Walmart and the product will be shipped directly from Walmart to the customer. Right. So the seller, the Amazon seller never touches it, never sees it. Okay, this is the most common example. So when that happens, Amazon doesn't want the seller to be confused about returns. So the seller of record, it looks like the product is coming from Walmart. So if they have an issue, they're confused how to, how to make the return. Now, all drop shipping is not in violation of Amazon policy, but the scenario that I just laid out is the most common one. Yeah. And it makes sense why, because you know if you have to ship the product to your own warehouse, Put in, you know, make sure that they know you're the seller of record. Take out any anything that notifies the seller that it's coming from Walmart. There's additional labor that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So you have to basically make sure that you're the only one identified and that there's no hint of Walmart on the external packaging. It could be uh, any any slips inside the package, anything like that. It has to show that you're the seller of record and that they would have no idea who else it came from. If you're doing that, then you're fine. The problem is is most dropshippers aren't.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. I think most people what they do is just Walmart target, just displaces retargeting, taking yeah. the product and putting it on Amazon.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's basically um, where dropshipping is at, I would say now. And again, it, it's the same scenario where if you do get suspended, you have to come up with those three components, the root cause, uh, corrective actions, and preventative measures. Um, and dropshipping is is also a difficult one now. So it's if Amazon finds out that you're a dropshipper, it makes it, it makes it a lot tougher to, to mm. get back on. Okay, that's great.
1: Yeah. Um, I think a last question, just to also touch a on that, which is listing suspension, which is a bit different from account suspension. So what is usually what you say are the main suspensions you see around listings? Um, and the reason behind them as well.
2: Yeah. So, well, the most common are, I would say, inauthentics, you sold as new and intellectual property. So I'll start with inauthentics and you sold as new just because there's A lot of crossover between the two. Um, So inauthentics, which often gets confused with counterfeit, um, Mm -hmm. inauthentic is non-intellectual property related. So there's not a rights owner that actually filed a complaint when it's inauthentic. Most of the time, it's when a buyer either claimed that the product was inauthentic or that they thought it was or Amazon flags it for, for some reason. Uh, maybe depending on your reviews or whatever Amazon system, you know, wherever they decide to flag it. So when it's an inauthentic, most of the time Amazon will ask for an invoice. So if you don't have an invoice, it's of course going to be problematic. If you have one, you just want to make sure that your supplier is legitimate, that they have an online web presence, that Amazon is going to be able to find them. If there's no online web presence this day and age, it's going to be very tough for Amazon to accept the invoice. You know, hmm. I've seen I've seen some I've seen scenarios where suppliers will be accepted for a while. And for whatever reason, Amazon decides that they don't want to accept them anymore. Hmm. Um, so yeah. there's all sorts of reasons. The best the best thing that I can advise is really just you have to vet them. You have to just make sure you know, you're know, you never going to know 100 percent, especially if you're buying in bulk. But a lot of suppliers come with reputations like any other business industry. Um and if the price point is too good to be true, it's going yeah. have to be a little bit suspect where it's like, okay, well, what's, what's going on here? You know, mm-hmm. the price in stores are being sold for $20. This guy's offering them for five, you Something know, though. a lot of yeah. times it's, it's a little shady. Um, but inauthentics are that they also can be account suspension related, but listing mm-hmm. suspensions that happen all the time and mm-hmm. you sold is new same same sort of thing so often what happens there is amazon or a buyer is suspecting that you're listing a product as new but you're mm-hmm. delivering used goods and usually gotcha. what that has to do with is the product either being damaged in transit uh, maybe someone's you know not careful or you know the box looks like it's dented or so maybe, maybe
1: refurbish or something like that.
2: Refurbish, right? Or maybe the product is broken or it's missing, has missing parts. or the, mm. You know, the box looks open. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why that may be the case. Sometimes it's news to the seller. They have no idea. It's the first time they heard it. Other times the products happen to be refurbished and they are, it's, it's actually a legitimate claim. So it really depends on the situation in general, though, you sold as new issues are relatively on the easier side to resolve compared to some of the other topics we've discussed so far. Um, same thing with inauthentic; as long as you have an invoice to actually show it, if you don't, of course, for obvious reasons, it's going to be a bit tougher. Um, and then I want to touch on intellectual property because that's a, a huge one for listing suspensions and. It's really trademark, copyright, and patent complaints. Um, not going to go through all the, all the details today, but basically when someone files a complaint, Amazon will ask you to reach out to the rights owner to try and resolve it directly with yeah. them. Usually with intellectual property, that's when a lot of sellers tend to involve lawyers. So um, I would say a fair percentage of the time my phone rings, it's intellectual property related. Um, and sometimes a mm-hmm. bigger issue of an account also being suspended associated with it, but not always. But the first step is always to reach out to the rights owner, request a basis um, and take it from there to try and resolve the dispute. If they don't have a basis or they don't respond at all, then that's when either... You know, attorneys can be a bit more threatening when they contact them. Or you can always just try and appeal it yourself to Amazon to try and resolve, it. you know, without even involving the rights owner. But I always recommend trying to attempt to contact the rights owner first. And if they don't answer an email, you can always try calling. And at the very least, you can show Amazon you did everything you could to try and get in contact with that rights owner. And What i typically do is i use that in the plan of action or in the appeal show them like look here's the correspondence we we tried reaching out as you requested and i haven't heard anything back that's
1: great i mean very useful thank you for that appreciate it so um, now i think just to conclude um, today's episode i just wanted to ask you do you have any final maybe tips or mistakes that people should avoid in general around account suspensions and listings and um, how, how? why usually you advise around that basic mistakes that you see people doing maybe yeah
2: um basic mistakes i would say are when sellers aren't truthful when they contact amazon they don't really think through um some of the important issues before mm. or actually sending it you know if you're if if amazon requests a plan of action or an appeal make sure to digest it. You know, always after a lot of sellers want, you know, every, you know, everything resolved immediately, which I always understand because it's when a product is down, you want to continue selling as quick as you can. But sometimes you have to think about like how, how do you, how you're going to respond, you know? Um, and another common mistake I would say is emotional appeals. Hmm. So playing on emotions, it's, I've seen sellers do it. Amazon just doesn't care about it. unfortunately it's not going to help. Um, It's not gonna do anything, so I, I just would totally avoid it. And then just just keep a record of all your documents. Make sure you have invoices. It's not a matter of really, if an issue happens on Amazon, when you grow, there's always, it's, it's really more of when, and you hope
1: yeah.
2: it's not a significant one, but you have to prepare like an issue may come up. So that would mean, you know, with products you're selling, you know, make sure you have a database where you have your invoices, you have everything you're going to need if something ever happens.
1: That's great. Yeah, I think those are very useful tips, especially the emotional side of things. I know yeah. when you receive that suspension, you get to be sometimes crazy and I think yep. that can get, make things worse. Yeah. But but now, David, thank you. I mean, I appreciate all the knowledge you dropped today. It's so valuable. Uh, Even myself, I learned something new about the research, so I'm going to start implementing that. (laughs) Now, uh, for people uh, that watch this episode that want to reach out and get uh, in touch with you around your services, or maybe just ask some questions, where people can usually find you?
2: Sure. So you can contact me by email at david at com and by phone at 516 313 1572 and then you can also check out my website damlawfirm.com That's
1: great David. Thank you very much. Once again, I appreciate your time and see you in the next one, okay?
0: Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The E-commerce Lab by EcomC. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it,